Welcome to the Book Bat Podcast, where we help you navigate and explore the world of Christian fantasy books. I'm your co-host, Carlissa J. And I'm your other co-host, Jason Coop. On today's episode, we'll be covering a few different topics. First, we'll discuss the complexities involved with defining whether a book is Christian or not. Then we'll explore the roots of the fantasy genre. And finally, talk a little bit about the fantasy book scene today. So before we started this podcast, we did a test episode and shared it with several people. And one of them asked how we are defining a book as Christian fantasy and what we mean by that, which is a fair question because different people have used the term very differently. Well, and especially when defining what qualifies as quote unquote Christian fiction. Um, Yeah, that is where you get into a bunch of different definitions and unfortunately most people don't define what they mean when they say christian fantasy or much less christian fiction really um so here's a couple things that different people have used to define what is and what isn't yeah so one way the term is used christian fiction is as a marketing label saying that a book was written and being sold to a Christian audience. Uh, this is mostly a modern, mainly American evangelical thing. Yeah, in Carlos's research on her book Christian Fantasy 101, which will hopefully be coming out sometime in the next year or so, little plug there, um, we found that for the most part, while there are international Christian, well, definitely people in other parts of the world who are Christians, and some of them do write. The fact of the matter is, is that there isn't really this whole media machine like there is in the American evangelical circles. So consequently, there aren't devoted markets just for Christian books or Christian, yeah. Well, Christian fiction specifically, yeah. So I've read it isn't really a thing in Europe. It seems to be a thing in Australia. And we kind of get it here in Canada because we get all our stuff from the U.S. Well, I don't think it's something where us here in Canada or the people in Australia really have a dedicated market for it. I think it's more or less just kind of we get a little bit from the U.S. and we kind of feed into that and get just melded into that machine. Yeah, possibly. It's also... A bit more modern, like when C.S. Lewis was writing in J.R.R. Tolkien. Which, it, to be clear, that was like the nineteen, well, the late 1930s onward to the 1960s, I'm going to say. Around, yeah. Christian fiction wasn't really a thing back then. And also, the people who write what gets labeled Christian fiction, mainly evangelicals. Not yeah. a lot other, Not a lot of other denominations represented. Yeah, because I remember um, when you found that trilogy by Gene Wolfe. Uh, what's the name of the trilogy again? Uh, the Book of the New Sun. Right. Well, that one apparently is a pretty popular series, but it's not popular in the quote-unquote Christian market, probably in part because Gene Wolfe is a Catholic. Or was a Catholic, yeah. Well, whatever. The point is, is that, uh, you know, that's a pretty well-known sci-fi series, apparently and yet i have yet to see it held up in christian bookstores as hey this is a bestseller which i believe it is yeah 
Um, another way the Christian label can be used is to say that a book communicates distinctly Christian worldviews or values. The thing is that that one becomes a big gray area with lots of people debating, okay, is this book openly Christian enough in its themes and everything, such as the long debate over Lord of the Rings? Is it a Christian book series? Well, and then there's the whole uh, Let Engel book. Oh, yeah. Her book. Let Engel's A Wrinkle in Time. Which, yeah, wasn't didn't that get it from both sides? It got it from the non-Christian market for being too Christian, and then she got it from the Christian market for being not Christian enough. Yeah, fun in-between book. So, yeah, it really just kind of depends on where you're coming from, whether or not a book kind of makes the cut as qualifying as Christian fantasy. Well, first of all, the book has to be a fantasy, obviously. But yeah, if your fantasy book qualifies as Christian fantasy, in a lot of cases, it can depend on where you're coming from defining it. If you're just saying, oh, I got this from a publishing house that markets itself as selling Christian books, that's like, okay, you know, it could have horrible theology or just horrible straight up non-Christian ideals or worldviews pushed. But if it's published by a Christian publish or a publishing house that identifies itself as a christian publisher you know sometimes we just buy into that um so the category we're using we're using it because it's simpler well and also we find it it just opens up the market for what we read and the books that qualify for us are gonna be where the author openly identifies as a christian that's it. It's not going to be whether or not the work itself is explicitly Christian or not. Because, again, you run into that whole, is it Christian enough or whatever. Although, to be clear, uh, we won't just talk about Christian fantasy books on this podcast. It's just what we want our focus to be. Yeah, so like in the first podcast, I brought up Brian Jake's Redwall series and that under no circumstance fits in under the whole Christian fantasy branch. But, you know, when asking me what my favorite fantasy series was, that's it. Hence why I brought it up and just didn't leave it at my favorite quote-unquote Christian fantasy. Anyway, moving on. Now that we've defined how we're using the word Christian in relation to books, let's define what is fantasy. We'll start by asking, where did fantasy begin? It's funny that you're asking these questions considering the fact that you're the nerd who looked this stuff up. You're telling me and the audience. Okay. So go ahead. <laughs> so what we recognize as the fantasy genre, or what is officially recognized, began in the mid-1800s Great Britain, what's referred to as the Victorian era, and it was begun by Christians. Christian authors, many of them ordained ministers, uh, most famously, George MacDonald, who's often nicknamed the father of fantasy. And Mark Worthing, in his book, Narnia, Middle-Earth, and the Kingdom of God, identifies four different genres that influenced the creation of the fantasy genre. Uh, hero tales, or epics. Classical mythology, like Greek, Roman, and ancient Egyptian mythology. Medieval Renaissance Christian allegory which is an extinct genre 
of which the most famous book is Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Yeah, and fun little story. In fact, you told me about um, the whole allegory thing is that a lot of people have tried to push, you know, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia as being allegorical and uh, no, they are most certainly not allegory. You want allegory for definition. Read that book, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, and you'll quickly realize that, oh, the Chronicles of Narnia may have the slightest hints of allegory in them at times, but they are so not allegory in nature. Yeah, I I didn't understand C.S. Lewis's insistence that his books were not allegory um, until I started reading Pilgrim's Progress, and I get it now. <laughs> it is not at all the same. <laughs> yep. C.S. Lewis was like, my, my books are not allegory. And now we get it. We get it. But the single biggest influencing genre was European fairy tales. So by fairy tales, I'm expecting you would... Would Aesop's fables count as that? Uh, No, those are more fables. So this is like there was a... In that era, the Grimm brothers lived. (laughs) So the Grimm brothers went around... And more using a more scientific process, collected traditional fairy tale stories and gathered them up into volumes. Um, and this was happening around that time, as well as Hans Christian Andersen wrote a bit before this time period. So fairy tales were in the popular imagining at that time, uh, with some modern authors contributing, as well as some ancient traditional tales being retold. So originally, uh, the first books that we would now call the beginning of the fantasy genre, their authors called them fairy tales and they were marketed as fairy tales. It wasn't officially recognized as a new genre until a bit later. Okay. So what differentiates a fairy tale from a fantasy? Uh, Mark Worthing points out fantasies are generally longer. They're aimed at a wider age range fairy tales are mainly aimed at children fantasies can be aimed at adults they draw from a wider variety of mythologies instead of just european folklore and they're less focused on communicating a singular moral point and more about the general struggle of good versus evil so basically generally speaking in a fantasy the good versus evil conflict is central to it Or something like that. Huh. Okay. So different people disagree on what is like the official first fantasy book. The chicken or the egg? (laughs) (laughs) George MacDonald's book, Fantasties, is one contender. And other people argue for Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by Charles Dodgson slash Lewis Carroll. But I guess, you know, they kind of all influenced each other. Yeah. In creating and forming this new genre. Well, that's the way it is with most things. When they start out, they start off being kind of a combination or a melding of something pre-existing. And then it, over time, it morphs into its own thing. It's like, well, at least to hear my dad explain the origins of rock and roll. It's like it's the, he explains it as being and music junkies. If I'm wrong on this one, whatever, that's not important here. Yeah, according to my dad, it was always 
it started off as a melding between blues and country and then obviously over time it's melded into something completely different from what it started out as even yeah and that's pretty much what happened with the fantasy genre so nowadays fantasy is often marketed under the label speculative fiction that sounds i'm finding it becoming more and more commonplace to do that so it's a mixture that includes sci-fi and fantasy oh okay okay because yes just the term speculative fiction that generally implies to me at least and maybe this is just how i take it but it sounds to me like you're actually seriously thinking about okay this is how the world could turn out or whatever if this happened or whatever yeah i used to see it as more of a sci-fi alternate label but yeah looking into different publishers and how they market their books and stuff more and more it's becoming the label for fantasy too so the line between sci-fi and fantasy has always been difficult to draw they were actually both invented around the same time so some argue sci-fi was first um officially fantasy draws inspiration from the past and sci-fi draws inspiration from a futuristic imagining although in technicality you can play around with a bit of both yeah um when i read sci-fi i find it has generally a different tone than fantasy it's a little more generally a little more suspense based or maybe apocalyptic versus fantasy it's more like epics adventures not always the case but i wonder if part of that has to do with if it takes place in the a culture or a timeline that's more similar to our past there's a sense of familiarity to it in terms of what kind of technology is there what certain practices may have existed at that time etc etc whereas if you're going for the future we don't know the future so mm-hmm. obvious and frankly as evidenced by the popularity of doom scrolling everyone expects the future to suck so yeah at least at this time period from what i've heard it goes in phases where you have a time period when everybody is really hopeful and expected that the future will be great and wonderful and then something happens and the imagination switches the other direction and everybody's like oh the future is going to be horrible and then something happens and people perk up again and then something bad happens (laughs) everybody's upset again (laughs) and doomsaying It kind of goes back and forth, apparently. Hmm. So basically what you're telling me is that if I'm ever hoping to read good speculative fiction about future-type timelines, I just need to wait for the pendulum to swing back the other way. Got it. Something like that, yeah. So on this podcast, uh, we might talk about some sci-fi books, but as a, I guess, pre-warning thing, I don't read a lot of sci-fi so well the stuff that i read that would qualify as sci-fi would be soft sci-fi which basically soft sci-fi is like star wars where there's not like a whole bunch of scientific well real life science in terms of the technology and so on and so forth it's all made up it's like that gray line between fantasy and sci-fi as opposed to hard sci-fi 
which is grounded in more real life science. I don't know. Some people say Star Trek fits that description. I don't personally know enough one way or the other, but yeah, like I know for myself, I personally love reading a lot of those Star Wars novels, especially the old classics from the 90s and so on, like the, what was it? Um, the Thrawn trilogy, Inheritance of the Empire, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Timothy Zen. Yeah. Like I love that series and technically I think that would qualify as a sci-fi series, but yeah, it's definitely... No scientist is looking at it for scientific insights or suppositions. And then you get really weird books like Madeline Engel's A Wrinkle in Time, which has some very strong fantasy elements and then some other elements that scientists do like to analyze her theories because she actually did get them from like Albert Einstein and uh, different physicists, theorists that she read. So a nerd of many types. Yeah, a nerd of many types. Okay, um, so just a reminder, if you want to keep up with us, uh, you can follow Carlissa on Facebook and Twitter under, I believe it's still Carlissa J at this point. Nope, it's BookBat. Oh, you've changed it over now. Good for you. The primary spot to follow us, obviously, would be our website, uh, which is book-bat.com. Uh, and just a reminder to... Wherever you get this podcast to subscribe and leave a comment definitely helps people to find it. And hey, sometimes good old word of mouth works too. All right. See ya. See you next time. Bye.